Hello, and welcome back to the Conservative Energy Podcast. I'm your host, Kayla Ventura. Today, I have a special guest, John Soka. John joined the CEN national team this May, taking over as our CEO. And this summer, he absolutely hit the ground running. We had him out at over 10 events, speaking at panels, coming to D.C. and working on the Crest Fly-In, and then most recently finishing up our time with our all-network conference that was hosted in Des Moines, Iowa. It was a great time, and it was a great showing of the network. I'm really excited to welcome John Soka. Thank you for joining me today. Thanks a lot, Kayla. It's my absolute pleasure to be here. And I think the most effective way to welcome guests to this podcast is to have them share their background. So, John, can you share your background with me? I can do that. After graduation from high school, I went to the United States Military Academy at West Point, graduated from there, served a career in the Army, regular Army. I was an Airborne Ranger qualified infantry officer, spent over 20 years, retired as a lieutenant colonel. My last duty assignment was here at Fort Bragg. I say here at Fort Bragg because that's where I'm right now. It's now known as Fort Liberty. When I retired from the Army, I, I could have been a government contractor, but I wanted to do something different. So I got into business. Now I've owned four separate businesses. They've all been successful. I still own one. I sold or closed the other three. And, and one of the things I learned in business was that uh, taxes are high. Federal taxes were high, state taxes were high. Uh, I would look at the balance sheet at the end of every month, pay everybody who worked for me, and then see what was left. What's the profit left? How much profit can I take? And then there was a pesky little thing called taxes in there. It just seemed too high. So I figured out what I should do about that, and that is that I ran for public office. I ran to be a member of the state legislature in North Carolina and the House of Representatives. I did run and I was successful in winning. One of my passions in Raleigh was to work on the tax code. And right from my first term in Raleigh, I did work on taxes. As a matter of fact, I ended up after two terms being the senior finance chair, which was in charge of taxes. So that's really what motivated me for public service. While I was in Raleigh, there's a lot of things you have to know no good enough so that you can actually vote on it and your vote makes sense. So there are things you know, like taxes, I was pretty good at that. I was in the mortgage business. I knew finance. I knew that pretty well. One of the things I didn't know too well was energy. When I first got up to Raleigh, I knew this about energy. If you go in your house and you flick the light switch up, the lights turn on. When you flip the light switch down, the lights go off. I knew how to do that. Plus, I know how to pay my utility bill every month. I had a visit from uh, a lobbyist who represented the North Carolina Sustainable Energy Association. She asked me what I knew about solar and wind, solar in particular, because there were a lot of solar developments being built in North Carolina at the time. And I told her what I thought I knew. And what I thought I knew was that solar wouldn't exist except for government subsidies. And she said, well, we have a little bit different opinion about that. Here's some information. Uh, read this, and if you have any questions, call me. So I read the information. We had, had a little bit longer conversation then. It kind of caught my interest because what I thought I knew, I really didn't know. I mean, I, I, I knew what I had been told to know as a conservative, but it wasn't really that accurate. So I kind of went on this six-month journey of discovery of energy, if you will, and did a lot of self-study, called her back in my office numerous times, 
called our utility lobbyists in there and asked them questions as well. And the bottom line was, was that I understood how energy is produced. I also came to find out based on all of the research was that solar energy at the time was the least cost form of energy production, which was really a, a revelation to me because I didn't know that. Now I looked at wind and the cost on wind, had been, well, you can see my little turbine up here, wind had been going down for uh, several years. And it's like, I didn't know this. Why didn't I know this? And I don't know why I didn't know it, but I learned it. And I really jumped into clean energy with both feet. And I ended up being the, my third term, the chairman of the um, Public Utilities and Energy Committee. And in that, had the opportunity to write some good bills uh, and those bills got passed. So that's, that kind of brings me from growing up to where I am today as the CEO of Conservative Energy Network. Thank you for giving us that wonderful overlook at your career and your growth. You were clearly made for service and has have built your career over being able to serve different entities. And it's wonderful to have you here serving in the nonprofit space now. One of the things you talked about was how you learned about solar energy. And from there, I know one of your nicknames was formed. You are known as Solar Soka. Can you tell us how you lovingly being, became known around the North Carolina legislature as Solar Soka? Yeah, I, I can do that. It was not meant as a compliment. It was meant when I was uh, working on this bill. It was House Bill 589 in 2017, which was completely transforming the way that solar energy would be brought onto the grid in the state of North Carolina. It was a huge, huge bill. And my detractors, who also happen to be my friends there on the other side of the issue, started calling me Solar Soka. Uh, first behind my back and then to my face. And their intent was, I think, to embarrass me or something. But I have this belief that you take a negative and you turn it into a positive. So I'm not saying I introduced myself as Solar Soka, but I did uh, wear it proudly as a badge of honor because I was in favor of solar and I still am because it's the lowest cost energy production. It's not perfect. No form of energy is. But what I was able to do in that bill was bring more solar onto the grid, which ended up saving ratepayers, everybody who pays a utility bill, lots and lots of money. From the time that bill passed in 2017 till the time of the next big bill I passed in 2021, it had documented savings for ratepayers of over $350 million. I'm pretty doggone proud of that, to tell you the truth. I never thought I'd be able to save anything near that for my constituents and the people of the great state of North Carolina. So good policy makes a difference. I always say that you file a bill for one or two reasons, either to make a statement, and we see that all the time in state legislatures, city councils, and the federal government, they want to make some statement that somebody is for whatever it is. And the other reason is to make a difference. And that's why I got into energy, and that's why I filed that bill and it passed. And that's why some of the other bills I filed and got passed in the legislature were to make a difference. And I think saving $350 million in ratepayer uh, payments over three years is making a difference. Uh, a difference that was 
definitely felt in the pocketbooks of ratepayers as they noticed their bills starting to decline instead of like the rest of us in the nation who are seeing our bills increase. So that's absolutely a fantastic win and one you should celebrate, one we're very proud of as well. Thank you. Thinking about messaging these clean energy issues, what do you think our most effective tools that we can use are? Yeah, and that's a great question because as a conservative and in a conservative organization, we take a little bit different look, uh, a different take, if you will, on clean energy. I'm not into government mandates. Our organization isn't into government mandates. I don't care if you drive an EV or if you drive uh, pickup that runs on diesel, I, it doesn't matter to me because a lot of that is your personal preference. There are things we can do that mean a lot to conservatives. One is, like I said, personal preference. I, I, every time you have a government mandate is spending taxpayers' money to achieve a certain goal, which in and of itself isn't necessarily an altogether bad thing, but what is bad is when you see too many incentives poured in for whatever the topic is, it distorts the economy and it distorts the free markets. And I believe that free markets, as free as they are in the United States, work better than one person or one party mandating things and then reinforcing that mandate with lots of taxpayer money. So that's one thing. Uh, another thing is personal property rights. If you look at property owners, mainly in rural areas where utility scale solar fields are and where wind fields are, it takes a lot of land. It does. So the question is, if I own land over here and I put in a windmill or a wind facility here, does my neighbor over here have the right to tell me that I shouldn't have wind turbines on my property? Why? Because he doesn't like to look at them? Well, maybe I don't like to look at his cows. But it, you know, in this country, it's well established that when you own property, you have the right to do with that property what you want to do. So there's property rights, which we have to, to look at that. And then the overriding factor is really cost. There's many different ways to generate energy. There's coal-fired power plants. There's combined cyclogas turbines. There's solar panels, there's wind turbines. In the future, there's going to be fusion. A uh, number of companies are working on small modular nuclear reactors right now. There's hydropower. There's, there's a lot of different ways. If we put all of our eggs in one basket, if that basket breaks, then we have a lot of problems. So I think it's best we have multiple ways to produce energy. And when you look at the different ways, the federal government, they might do a lot of things, but some of the things that they do well is they can predict what the cost per megawatt of a new development is. And just in generalities, if you're building new coal, it's like $72 a megawatt. New combined cyclogas turbine, $34 a megawatt. Solar without um, storage, about $29 a megawatt. With storage, about the same price as gas turbine. Wind has come down greatly. Offshore wind is still about $109 a megawatt, but as more of that's built, we're gonna see the same thing we've seen with that that we saw in solar with the internal combustion engine, maybe not with nuke, but the price goes down. The more things are adopted, it becomes better, the technology comes better. 
it's one of those things to just say that you don't like a certain form of energy because you don't like it is an insufficient argument with me. Coal doesn't bother me, except for the fact that it's the most expensive, well, not the most, but uh, one of the more expensive costs of generating a megawatt of electricity. Why would I pay $72 a megawatt if I can pay $34 a megawatt on a combined cyclic gas turbine or $34 a megawatt roughly with solar combined with storage? 72, 34, 72, 34. I mean, it's kind of simple. So what happens oftentimes is people let their emotions get wrapped up in things. I don't want to look at that over there. I don't want to look at that wind turbine because I don't like wind turbines. I don't want to look at a solar panel. I don't want to look at uh, Hoover Dam. I don't want to look at that. Well, you know what? We still have property rights. And when we're generating electricity at the lowest cost, it benefits everyone. You spoke to this a little bit about how conservative energy advocates can effectively communicate and overcome these preconceived notions or skepticism when we're met with inefficient, as you mentioned, energy arguments of, well, I don't like solar, or I don't want to look at my neighbor's wind turbine. What are the things that we can lean on? What are the arguments we can lean on to overcome those inefficient arguments? And that's a great question. I go back to myself and how I learned about clean energy. Remember, light switch on, light switch off. That's all I knew. I educated myself to understand how these other systems worked, how they generated energy, how they all integrated into the grid overall. What we have to do is deal in facts. We just have to deal in facts. Uh, emotions are fine. A little bit of emotion is fine. But if you make decisions based on emotion, usually you're making a bad decision, particularly if you're an elected official. If you're voting on emotion, you're not doing your job. You have to make the best, most informed decision you can and vote your way, whether it's a yes or a no on whatever the issue is. So what we can deal with is the facts. And if you go to conservativeenergynetwork.org, you'll see our principles there. And you can see really the things that we as conservatives hang our hat on, property rights, lowest cost, free markets. We'd like to see free markets without monopolies. And I know that that's one that gets people a little uneasy, but um, I think that maybe the utility monopoly model worked very well in the 1900s and it's breaking down here in the year 2023 not because I don't like it, but because we have all these different forms of energy, some more efficient than others, all putting into the grid. So I have to make sure that our grid is reliable and sustainable, and at the same time, at least cost for the rate payers. So I'm not sure that the model that a lot of our states have with utility uh, utilities that are essentially monopolies is the right answer. I'm not saying it's the right answer. I'm not saying it's the wrong answer. What I'm saying is, is that that's one of the things that when we talk about it and we're either for or against it or we're looking for a different model, we need to be really educated on what we're talking about. And energy is a very complex issue, probably one of the more, most complex issues I dealt with as a legislator and now in my current role. So to put a bow on that really is when you go to a meeting, be informed. If you're not informed, go to the meeting and learn something. You have to do your homework and deal in facts 
because emotions will most awfully, often lead you down the wrong path. That is fantastic advice. Thank you. And thank you all for joining us for the Conservative Energy Podcast. Please stick with us as I come back with CEN CEO, John Silka. Welcome back and thank you for sticking with us at during the Conservative Energy Podcast. I'm your host, Kayla Ventura, and I'm back with Conservative Energy Network CEO, John Soka. I'm looking ahead, what are your goals for the Conservative Energy Network? The first day when I started this opportunity, and I call an opportunity not a job. A job is something you go to and you may or may not like, but for me, this is a passion working in clean energy. Saving people money uh, is a good thing, and cleaning up in the environment is a good thing. So when I started this opportunity, my first day, I had a network call, and my overall goal was for the Conservative Energy Network to be the go-to place for lawmakers uh, at the state level to go to for factual-based information on clean energy and to help them figure out which policy is best for their state, because policies change from state to state. We were just in Iowa, as you mentioned a little while ago. They produce 62% of their electric power by wind. From the governor on down, they're very proud of that, and it keeps their rates really low. That's never going to happen in North Carolina, where I am, or in Florida, because the conditions just aren't there. So what I want our organization to do is to be smart enough in all forms of clean energy to be able to advise lawmakers at really all levels from state down to county commissioners, you know, town managers, whatever, to, to come to us for answers when they have issues on zoning or the energy mix or things like that. Thank you, John. That's a wonderful goal to have and one that I'm excited to see come to fruition in the coming years. What else should our audience be on the lookout for CEN and the growth and progress of the organization in the next coming months? We plan to grow our organization. Right now we have operations in 24 states. There's, there's a need to grow, and it's not just to talk about solar and wind and small modular nukes. There's a huge issue right now across the nation in transmission. We have a problem with where the energy is located, where it's generated, getting it to the places where it's needed the most. Take Texas, for example. The wind corridor in Texas is in Western Texas, which is more sparsely populated than the Dallas-Austin corridor and down in Houston. So you have literally hundreds of miles to move the energy, but they need to build more transmission. There's a couple of things that are preventing them from doing that. One of the biggest one is federal regulations. So we're working with other organizations who work at the federal level and in integrating their changes, suggested changes, which with what we can work at the state level so that we can solve this transmission problem. That's just a statewide look at it. Every state has this issue. I talked to a major utility CEO about a year ago. It took him nine years to get permission to run a much needed transmission line nine miles. Now think about that for a minute. Nine years for the permission to build a nine mile stretch transmission line that was going to connect two different 
generating sources and the way the transmission was. That's insane. It's just ridiculous. We can't tolerate that. We have to change that. Part of the issue is not many people know about that. Not many people know that transmission is an issue. Now, there's policymakers in Congress who know that and policy uh, advisors and uh, 501c3s like CEN who know that and we're working on it. So we have to look at other things that are going to make a huge difference in how energy is delivered to people. And some of the states we're not in are a big part of that. Some of the plain states, some of the other states in the middle of the country where transmission lines have to be run. So one of the things that we're looking at, and I've already had two meetings in the last month and have some more meetings planned actually next week, on what other states do we need to have CEN in to help educate lawmakers and help this transmission issue be resolved smoothly? So one of the things is we're looking at the, where those states are. So this time next year, hopefully we'll be in at least another six states. Well, you heard it here first. Hopefully CEN will be in another six states next year. And I'm excited to see that growth and see where we end up landing. John, thank you so much for your time today. And thank you all for joining us for the Conservative Energy Podcast. You can find us online at www.conservativeenergynetwork.org. To learn more about the clean energy sources that we talked about today, please check out our Clean Future Academy. You can find that at www.conservativeenergynetwork.org forward slash CFA. The Conservative Energy Podcast is available on Spotify, Apple, YouTube, and when, wherever you find your podcasts. Please give us a like and listen. 